Well, this morning we reconnect with the book of Acts. We started this series about a year ago. We preached through Acts 1 through 9, and uh, today we will get back into the book of Acts and uh, preach the entire book by the end of the summer, 2027. No. I almost thought about changing the whole series to a series on church discipline. You say, well, what happened? Well, you need to know what happened so you can pray. Some of you may know, if you know me well enough, I, I like to say this about myself. I may have a disorganized desk, but I have an organized mind. And after Easter, my, de- my office looked like a bomb had gone off into it. I had a trumpet on top of my desk, clothes all over the place from the, the, the Holy Week. It, it, was, it was chaos. And the week before last, I, because I wasn't preaching because of our Go Conference, I really worked hard cleaning my office, and it was finally perfect. The books were perfect, organized. Even, even my wife came in and helped me organize so that they were the right size, and they, they were just, it was beautiful. New pictures in my office. It was gorgeous. Not a scrap of paper on my desk. And yesterday morning, I came into my office, and the youth group had destroyed it. <laughs> Balloons everywhere. Pictures off the walls. Cards scattered all over the place. These little stickers that I will be taking off for the next 10 years all over the office. And by God's goodness, leaked video footage of this event was provided to me. And I know each and every one of the students that was involved. I know who you are. I know where you live. What was exciting to me is a lot of the students in that destruct, act of destruction all had Wilberforce jackets on. How Whitman will be receiving those videos tomorrow morning. You will be homeschooled by Tuesday afternoon. We need the Spirit of God. All of us. It was a fun joke. And now, for the rest of my life, I will be seeking to bring justice to those students. And to the adult leaders who were involved. Anyway. We need to look at the book of Acts. The book of Acts is crucial because it shows us the formation of this new community of believers, followers of Jesus. It shows what happens in the aftermath of the ascension of Jesus Christ. He died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and then he begins to establish his continued work in the world through these believers. The book gives us tremendous insight, tremendous understanding of what God did then, but what God is doing now in us and through us. So this morning, I want to reorient us to the book of Acts by looking back at Acts 1. I will let you know that uh, back in April 11th, I believe, of last year, I preached the same text. It's a different sermon, 
I suspect if I preach the same sermon I preach, some of you would not be able to remember. I know that. But this is a different sermon. You might want to go back and look at it this week uh, as we prepare to launch into Acts 10 uh, next week with Pastor Andrew. Uh, if, if, you know, and whether that's helpful or not, it, it might help you cure your insomnia as well. So it, it, it can have a dual purpose there. What I want us to see in Acts 1 and then a little section in Acts 2, I want to remind us of what the church is all about. It is so easy for us to forget why we're here, why you're here this morning. It's easy for pastors and elders and and church leaders to forget what is the church supposed to accomplish And how is the church supposed to accomplish the things that God has given to it? And what is the scope of that mission? I'm going to look at three areas of reconnection that we need to make as we reconnect with this book, as we reconnect to our mission, but also as we prepare to launch into the study of this great book going forward until the end of the summer. So the first reconnection we need to make is we need to reconnect the reality that the church's mission is to continue the work of Jesus on the earth now that he's ascended in the power of the Holy Spirit. Take a look at Acts 1.1. In, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. This is Luke writing to Theophilus, who may, very well may have been a patron, who, who sort of supported Luke's work. Luke wrote his first volume uh, in, in, in the Gospel of Luke that talked about the life of Jesus. And now in this second book, he is going to outline how Jesus continued to do his work through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says there. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And now in my second volume, I'm going to continue that theme of describing how Jesus continues to do his work through us. And to me, that's an arresting thought. Think about that. Jesus has now ascended. He's at the right hand of the Father. He has all authority and power. And what he's going to continue to do is to do his work on the earth, to continue what he started in the earth and what he did and what he taught. And he's going to do it through us. You think about that. I mean, sometimes I look in the mirror and say, is that really the, the plan, Lord? It seems like the Lord had a delegation problem. Because he's left us to continue his work. But that is the plan. That is what the church is supposed to be about. That's what every community of believers is to be about. Is to continue the work that Jesus begins to do and to teach. You notice in verse 8 in his commission he gives to the disciples and to the church and and by us to extension he says but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and all judea and samaria and to the end of the earth what jesus is saying to us in that text is that what the church is about is to be his witnesses. The church is about letting other people know who Jesus is and what he's done. That is our role. It's all about Jesus. We're continuing the work of Jesus, and we're also his witnesses 
be, being able to share with other people who Jesus is and what he's done. And to live out the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ before the world. And then notice in verse 9. When he had said these things, and as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The disciples are staring at Jesus has ascended. He's now at the right hand of the Father. He's just commissioned them to be his witnesses. The gospel, Luke has described how the work of the church is to continue the works of Jesus through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's almost as if these, these, these angels are saying, listen, why do you stare up here? That same Jesus who was taken up is going to come back again. And between now and then, you've got work to do. To do what? To be my witnesses. Of course, that's sometimes the problem with church, right? Is it's easy for all of us to make church about everything else but Jesus. A lot of us, uh, unfortunately, are infected with, with sort of the, the cultural norm here that we look at the church and we treat the church as if we're consumers. What's in it for me? What, what does it do for me? Uh, you know, do I like the music? Do I like this? Did you, do you put on a, a good show on Sunday and then I'll come? That is not what we are about. That's not what the church is about. We are to continue the works of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're to be his witnesses. Everything in the church is about him, for him, for his reputation and the extension of his name. Of course, I think we struggle in a couple of different ways. I think sometimes it's difficult to believe that that could be God's plan, that he would use us. I mean, look at us. Look at us. I mean, we're fallen. We're sinners. We're going to have a time of confession. I'm going to ask all the high school students who trash my office to come forward. It's going to be great. It's going to be long, but it's going to be great. The amazing thing about the church is that Jesus has entrusted us by the power of the Holy Spirit to continue his work and everything about us should revolve around him. I think sometimes it's hard for us to really believe that Christ could do that in us and through us. I think it's also easy for us to look at the failures of the church, and there are many. Church history, church history is littered with stories of, of massive failures by people who claimed the name of Christ. And we look at those things and we're embarrassed and we're, we're, we're shocked and then things happen you know, in our day and we're embarrassed and shocked. And yes, all of that's true and we should own that and we should grieve over it and we should be open and honest about that, of course. But one thing I think we fail to remember is that the body of Christ, even with all of its failings and with all of its sin, which is, which is many things, what Jesus has done in his church for the last 2,000 years is profound and it has absolutely changed the world. And that gets underplayed by historians 
And it gets pushed down by many who want to somehow damage the reputation of Christ by overemphasizing the many failures and then underplaying the massive difference that Christianity made in this world for the last 2,000 years. Let me read you a couple of quotes. You have to realize that when, when, the, when the Spirit of God came down, there were 120 people in the, in the, in the upper room there in Jerusalem. There were 120 believers. You, you don't realize in, in 300 years, that little group of 120 believers, God would add to it, and it would, it would grow throughout the Roman Empire until it was to be the dominant religion in the entire Roman Empire. Shocking growth. In the 4th century... Again, I'm quoting from Rodney Stark, who's written a number of books on the, the history of the early church. In the fourth century, the emperor, this is the Roman emperor Julian, launched a campaign to institute, institute pagan charities in an effort to do what? To match the Christians. Julian complained in a letter to the high priest of Galatia in 362 that the pagans needed to equal the virtues of Christians. For recent Christian growth was caused by their moral character. He goes on to say, even if it was pretended, he can't even acknowledge what was happening. And by their benevolence towards strangers and care for the graves of the dead. In another to another priest, the Roman emperor wrote, I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by the priest, that's the pagan priests, the impious Galileans, the Christians, observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. And he also wrote, the impious Galileans support not only their poor, but they support ours as well. And everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. You see what the emperor is saying? We need to emulate the Christians. Why was that? Because in the Roman Empire, they glorified strength. They thought strength was everything. And the poor, the marginalized, the people who were, were sick, and, 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 and the many slaves that populated the Roman Empire, it was all about domination. The, the elite ruled over most of the population. But in Christianity, because Jesus died a, a death on the, on the cross, because he showed in his weakness in the gospel that, 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 the, that, that the, through weakness and through the sacrifice and crucifixion, and the shame of a crucifixion. That is the way to God. And then, of course, when Jesus taught, he said, the first will be last, the last will be first. The Christian church emulating the work of Jesus was so powerful in its benevolence, not simply toward the church, but to all people, the church began to grow and dominate the Roman Empire. And now this pagan emperor Julian is trying to emulate what the church had been doing for the last 350 years. We are called to continue the works of Jesus. We are called to be his witnesses, to show the world the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We have a high calling, and in spite of the many failures of the church for the last 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ, in spite of its failings and its fallenness, etc., has done tremendous good because the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, has done the works and continued the works of Jesus throughout the world. That's a fact. Another passage from Rodney Stark. Again, there were notable failures in the Christian church, right? But he writes this, and I think it's true. In fact, all known societies 
above the very primitive level, have been slave societies. Even many of the Northwest American Indian tribes had slaves, slaves long before Columbus's voyage. Amidst the universal slavery that you see in almost every culture, there's only one civilization that ever rejected human bondage, and it was Christianity, and they did it twice in the last 2,000 years. That is not to say that there weren't Christians who, who, who failed in this area. That's not to say that, that the church probably should have done more at different times. But what it's saying is, primarily through the teaching of Jesus Christ, through the work of the church in Jesus Christ, Christianity has made massive impact because by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have continued to do the works of Jesus. And that's what God is calling us to do. That's what we're going to see throughout the book of Acts. That is our calling, too. That's the first connection we need, reconnection we need to make uh, with our mission uh, through Acts. The second is this. The second connection we need to make is that the work that we do, that God has called us to do, is accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. God hasn't left us to our own strength, our own ingenuity, our own abilities to accomplish this work. Notice what he says in verse, uh, verse 4. He says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then he goes on to say in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The reality here is that God has, Christ has not left us without the power to accomplish this incredible mission he's given us. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. When Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. But that enables him to pour out his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the personal presence of Christ living inside us that connects us to the right hand of the Father. Which means the very power of Christ lives inside every believer. Amen. That's real. And, and, and I know you don't always feel like that. Okay? But it's true. You need to believe it, and you need to depend upon that spirit. This Holy Spirit is, is, is living inside you, and you are vitally connected to the right hand of the Father. So the power to live out the, the acts of Jesus, to continue his work, he's empowered us with his very presence. That's why the ascension is so crucial. If Jesus had stayed on the earth... He would have been confined to one local area, but now that he's ascended, he can pour out his spirit, the personal presence of Christ, living inside you so that every believer can have an even more intimate experience with Christ than you would have had if he was with you in person. I think the question for us is, are we uh, utilizing and depending on the power of the Holy Spirit given to us from the ascended Christ? Are you depending on that to do the work that God has called you to do? I can remember um, vividly, my dad was involved in a church plant in Texas. Uh, my family would often get there. I was in college. I would get there and help clean up the church before church services. We got to the church. There weren't very many windows in the building where we met, so it was kind of pitch black, and the power was out. 
So the thing was dark. It's like we were going to meet in the catacombs, you know. And my mother had the great idea. She says, oh, no, there's no light. What we need to do is go home and get some lamps, bring them back, plug them in so we can have light. I remember looking, what, we had lamps? I said, Mom, there's no power. Yes, that's why we need to go get the lamps. Mom, there, there's no power. Just stop, just go get the, go get the lamps, Tracy. I walked out to my car, and I almost drove home, but I said, no, I walked in, Mom, the electricity's off. There's no power. The lamps won't work. And she goes, oh. 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 Well, our problem is not that we don't have power. The problem is... I think we probably don't connect to the power of the Holy Spirit like we ought to, to empower us to get the work done that God has called us to do. I wonder what it would look like here at Stonehill if every last one of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, who the Holy Spirit, who has connected us to the right hand of the Father in Jesus, if every day before you did anything in your life that you would ask, Lord, Holy Spirit, who lives inside me, empower me to do all that you need me to do so that I can continue the works of Jesus. I I think I'd make a big difference. And it's interesting that the Holy Spirit, yes, is there to help you become more like Jesus Christ. But when you look in the Old Testament, and we'll look at this next week if you come to the Holy Spirit class, you're going to see that in the Old Testament there are two guys who are involved in shaping and building the furniture for the tabernacle who are told they were filled with the Holy Spirit to do that work. Which means the Holy Spirit is not just to help you be like Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is to help you to do all that you were called to do in your work, in your classroom. So that you can, you can fulfill the mission here to reunite all things under the Lordship of Christ. The Holy Spirit wants you to do that. And so he will help you at work, school, academics, relationships in your family, and spiritually, everything. And yet how often do we actually depend upon the Holy Spirit to do anything for us? Sometimes I think we're like this one farmer the 15th century in Germany, and not, not, sorry, wrong quote. It was in England, but it was in the 15th century. And John Brogham was, 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 was a rector, and he met this shepherd who was uh, keeping watch over his sheep, and he said, the pastor asked him, do you know about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And the shepherd responded, The father and son I know well, for I tend their sheep. But I know not the third fellow. I've heard of no one by that name that lives in our village. I think sometimes we're like that with the Holy Spirit. I'll just ask you, when is the last time you spent a time of prayer where you said, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, I need your supernatural help to accomplish the things that you've asked me to do? When's the last time you did that? 
Sunday school teachers. I think it would make a, a world of difference in your Sunday school classes if you spent some time every week praying for each of your students and praying for your own teaching, that the Spirit of God would infuse your teaching with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit as you deliver the Word of God, and that you would pray that the Spirit of God would activate in all of your students a deep understanding and application by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think too often we are trying to do the works of Jesus without the aid of the supernatural power source that God has given to us. I wonder how many of us, just asking a question, you know, just how many of us prayed that today when we came together as God's people at Stonehill, we have this mission to carry on the works of Jesus. How many of us asked the Spirit of God to do something supernatural through this service, through each of the songs, through the scripture reading, through the preaching, ask God by His Spirit to supernaturally fill this place and fill this congregation with a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit so we could accomplish our mission? Because absent the work of the Holy Spirit... There's no way for us to continue to do the works of Jesus. In the book of Acts, we'll see it in the early church and we'll be challenged in our own lives. There's a third connection I want us to make. And that is I want us to connect with the scope of our mission. Back to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. The mission for this group of people, and again, just a few disciples heard this. When Jesus gave them this mission, it wasn't simply to, to work with their friends and neighbors and co-workers, and that was part of it. But they wanted to expand the ministry into GD and Samaria regionally, and then they wanted to expand it to the uttermost part of the earth. The part of what we are called to do to continue the works of Jesus is to take what he did and, and, and who he is and share that with the entire world. There's a worldwide scope to the mission that God has given the church. That's why we had a GO conference last week. Now, one of the great things about our world today is a lot of times the world comes to us. We've got people from all over the place, in this church right, right this morning, all kinds of different countries, backgrounds. God is putting us together to be a preview of coming attractions when people from every tribe, nation, people group surround the lamp, surround the throne and worship. We have people from the country of Texas. It's beautiful. And other places. Can't forget that the continuing works of Jesus that we're called to do has a worldwide impact. So there's some of you, I think, this morning who would do well to go into the atrium right across the hallway there. It's a big board. It's got all of our global partners on it. We're trying to get you know, five support people, individuals and families, to support each of our uh, you know, near, nearly 40, uh, over 40 global partners. Take that card, pray with them, take this year, get to know them, and be part of your the scope of your mission to support somebody who's taking the gospel to other places around the world. This is the scope of our mission. And none of it can take place without the supernatural work of the Spirit in our life. So I want you to bow. 
I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to lead us in communion. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you've asked us in your church to to continue the works of Jesus, to be your witnesses, Lord. You've asked us to do this, and you haven't left us to our own devices, our own strength, our own our own wisdom, our own power. You've given us the Holy Spirit, the very presence of Christ living inside us that connects us to the right hand of the Father. All the power, Lord, and I pray that you would help us to depend upon that power. To intentionally ask the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do in our life, in the life of our family, in the life of the people we're serving and ministering to, praying that this would be our experience as God's people at Stonehill. And last, you've asked us to take the gospel to the world. The world that has already come to our shores and come here to Princeton area, but to support others who are taking the gospel all around the world to continue the works of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to do your work, to continue your work by the power of the Holy Spirit to make a massive difference in the world. We pray this in your name. Amen.